I think the Pac-12 is going to have to get real creative here in the near future because if they don't, they could be left behind because we know the train is leaving the station and we know that the SEC and the Big Ten are on it. The question remains, will the ACC, will the Big 12, and will the Pac-12 ultimately be on the train as well? Hello and welcome in. Today is Friday, February 24th, and we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on ESPN's YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out a lot that we need to get to today. We have mailbag questions. I've told you, keep sending them in. We're going to keep putting them in the show. These are the times when we get to kind of answer anything. With the exception of low-hanging fruit topics, we're going to avoid those. If you're asking me about the blowouts that I participated in, probably not going to do those things, but that's okay. That's why we have the email, and that's why Jack Foster makes big money going through all the email and picking out all the best questions. So if you're mad, address your concerns with Jack Foster. He's helping us. Mark Kubiak's helping us. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for being with us. AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail.com to interact with the show, or you can do it on social media at AlwaysCFB. That'll be helpful as well. Today's going to be a day that's dedicated to a few different things. One, we want to talk about the Pac-12. And I think we need to talk about the Pac-12, where they're at, what they're doing. There's already been some rumors about SMU. There's been rumors about Fresno State. Let's spend some time on the Pac-12 today. And of course, with the news last week, about Ohio State canceling a home-and-home, what does that mean for future Pac-12 scheduling? What does that indicate for the future health of the league? And, of course, look, the Big 12 is on the prowl right now. The Big 12 is on the prowl. So we're going to talk about how the Big 12 could very easily impact the Pac-12 and why they might impact them sooner than later. So let's do it. A little Pac-12 dive in right here on a Friday. Let's talk about it. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right. If you guys believe that the current landscape of college football, college athletics, if you believe that realignment 
is done, then I have some oceanfront property to sell you in Arizona. I do. Because I think actually, ironically enough, the Arizona schools could be the next piece of realignment. The Pac-12 naturally has come under so much discussion, has come under so much scrutiny about what they're going to do, about their new media rights partners. What is their next media deal going to look like? Are they going to be expanding in an effort to strengthen their footprint right now? Because I do believe, like I've told you guys before, I believe there is strength in numbers right now. If you're there at 10 members twisting in the wind, you might not be there for very long. But the further you can expand, the bigger you can grow, the more teams you have under your umbrella, the more likely I think you are to potentially survive this current, I guess, earthquake of college football. Let's talk about the Pac-12 for just a little bit and talk about what's going on right now as far as their realignment. Let's talk first before we get into future scheduling, before we get into Ohio State canceling a home-and-home. We'll get into some things about what the Pac-12 can do to strengthen their position in a moment. But let's first talk about some of the teams that people are starting to discuss as far as an alignment with the Pac-12. The first team that's come up the last couple weeks has been SMU. A lot of people are saying it's 75% of the way there. It's 100% of the way there. They just can't announce it right now. People continue to say that both SMU and San Diego State are a done deal to the Pac-12. Now, I don't necessarily believe that to be true. I also believe that if those two are, quote, a done deal, I think there's probably at least two more that they're considering as well. And if I were to bet my bottom dollar, the two more that I'd be considering if I were the Pac-12 would be Rice and Tulane, two outstanding academic institutions, one in Houston, of course, one in New Orleans. So I think if you look at where the Pac-12 is at right now, I'm not sure anyone knows exactly what the time frame is for these decisions to be made. I also don't know exactly what the goal would be for George Klyovkov. He's, of course, the Pac-12 commissioner. I'm not sure he can tell you exactly where he needs to land. Right now, they're in the middle of negotiating a rights deal with, it sounds like ESPN, and it sounds like a streaming partner, odds on favorite at the moment, is Amazon. Now, Amazon, of course, they've dove head into the NFL, now trying to dip their toe into the college football world. But right now, if you look at where the big or the Pac-12 is, does it really make sense? Does it really make sense to distribute your revenues evenly amongst 14 member institutions? Uh, I happen to think that doesn't make sense. Not when you consider the likes of, and this was with no disrespect to Tulane, Rice, SMU, and San Diego State. I don't think it makes any sense to distribute them evenly when you got Oregon and you got Washington and you got some other big brands. Stanford, it's a big brand. Whether they're good or not remains to be seen, but they are a big brand. Does it make sense to distribute your revenues across the board to four new members? I don't think it does. Does it make sense to distribute it Amongst 12 members, yeah, probably more so. But I think staying with the status quo is the most likely thing that Pac-12 should do right now. I think you're still 
very, very important to television networks. Why? Because that window that starts at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time is ridiculously valuable. And guess what? You're the only league that can occupy that window. And because Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, has acknowledged, hey, yeah, you know what? We would kind of like to expand into that fourth time zone. Remember, Big 12 has already added an Eastern team in UCF. They've already added Cincinnati also in the Eastern time zone. You obviously have the Central time zone on lock. We know that. And they added BYU from the Mountain time zone. Brett Yormark has been very outspoken about the possibility of adding a fourth time zone. Now, he didn't go into specifics. He didn't tell us exactly who he was going to pinpoint if the Big 12 were going to expand a little bit more. All he told us is that he has aspirations of adding a member of the fourth time zone. We shall see exactly where things are. But here's the conversation that I revert back to with SMU and Rice and Tulane and Memphis or whoever it may be. Fresno, San Diego State. Why, explain to me this, why would they join the Pac-12 if the Big 12 could potentially become available? I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that Brett Yormar is going to be reaching out. Hey, Fresno, you want to join? Hey, San Diego State, you want to join? Hey, Tulane, you want to join? Hey, Rice, you want to join? I'm not sure. Hey, SMU, you want to join? Hey, Memphis, you want to join? I'm not sure he's necessarily making further expansion a huge priority. I don't think he needs to at this point. But if you were, say, SMU, wouldn't it make more logical sense to align with the Big 12, knowing that you already have built-in rivals that exist in the conference right now. You already have TCU right across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex that's in the league. Now, TCU would likely fight it, but hey, AM fought it when Texas joined the SEC and all is good. Why wouldn't SMU listen to the Big 12 before they listen to the Pac-12? Now, we'll see exactly how that goes down. I don't know exactly what's going to happen as far as SMU but I would think that if the Pac-12 sniffing around, maybe the Big 12 should be sniffing around as well. They are in Dallas, after all. Go add SMU if you're the Big 12. I think you can't miss. And if nothing else, it only strengthens your position because like I said earlier, there is strength in numbers. Moving on to the Pac-12 scheduling model. was As of right now, Ohio State, you might, you might have seen this, you might have missed it, however you feel. Ohio State decided to cancel a home-and-home series with Washington recently, and that kind of gave us a little bit of a glimpse into what might be going on for the Pac-12 in their future scheduling model. Look, you see back in 2019, Michigan bailed with a two-game series with UCLA. Now, they pushed a makeup date for a trip to Seattle, a game that was originally postponed by COVID. That's all the way back into the 2028 season. They delayed that one. So it made us wonder, how is the Pac-12 going to schedule moving forward? So I decided to look through some of the games that are on the schedule for various teams in the years to come. Let's start with Arizona. At 2028, they go to Nebraska. 2031, Nebraska comes to them. Cal has a home and home in 2025 and 2028 with Minnesota. Colorado has home and homes with both Nebraska and with Northwestern. Oregon has home and homes with Michigan State and Ohio State. Oregon State has a home game scheduled with Purdue in 2024. Utah, 
home and home with Wisconsin. Washington, they have that 2028 game that's made up with Michigan. And then Washington State, they get to make up here in 2023 the other side of the home and home with Wisconsin. So there's a lot of good quality games that are currently on the schedule right now amongst the Pac-12. But if, and we don't know exactly what the Big Ten scheduling model is going to be, but if the Big Ten is going to be making constant trips, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten trips a year to the West Coast for home games with USC and UCLA, would they still be interested in signing home-and-home deals with teams on the Western footprint? That's a question that we don't know right now. But one thing we do know, we're going to get more context here next fall when the Big Ten officially unveils their scheduling model. The other thing right now is that the Pac-12 has been kind of jockeying with the idea of moving to an eight-game conference schedule and an effort to strengthen their out-of-conference rivalries or out-of-conference games. I'm not so sure that would be a good idea right now. Right now, you know you have nine quality games, even though it's going to be a round-robin format, more than likely, you have nine quality games that are on your regular season schedule. Right now, if you're already having a difficult time scheduling out of conference, what makes you think it's going to be easier by being forced to schedule an additional game out of conference on a regular basis? So I don't anticipate them reverting back to an eight-game conference schedule, but that's something that I think needs to be acknowledged as a possibility down the road. The other thing that I think the Pac-12 is not going to want to do, but they need to do it, they need to make sure that they can sign non-conference games with both USC and UCLA. Now, people are going to roll their eyes at that notion. They're going to say, wait, wait, hang on a second. They just left us. They just crushed our league. They just made our league so unreasonably unstable. And yet you want us to schedule home and home games with them? No way, no how, no chance. Is that good business sense? Is SC going to Washington going to be valuable for both SC and Washington? Is SC traveling to Eugene, Oregon? Is that valuable for both SC and for the Oregon Ducks? What about USC and their, quote, rivalry with Stanford? Now, I don't necessarily consider it a rivalry, but Stanford has played pretty well against the Trojans in the last 10, 12 years. What about that game no longer existing? The Pac-12 teams are going to need to swallow their pride and acknowledge that, yeah, you know what? Maybe we kind of do need USC and UCLA to make sure that we continue to put people's behinds in the seats at our home venues. And I think that's going to be something that's really important as they move forward. But will they do it? I'm not super optimistic, at least at this point. Roundabout way of putting a bow on it like this. The Pac-12 is in trouble. I'm not saying they won't be able to make money. I'm not saying they won't land a somewhat lucrative rights deal with both ESPN and Amazon. But I think the Pac-12 needs to do some soul searching. Adding SMU, adding Rice, adding Tulane, adding San Diego State. While I respect each of those four programs, does it make your product better? The answer in my eyes is no. 
If anything, it only further proves that you are kind of reverting down to a group of five level. That's not with any disrespect to the aforementioned teams. But adding them is not going to lead to more eyeballs, and it's certainly not going to lead to more people attending your games on a week-to-week basis. What is going to lead to more eyeballs and what is going to lead to more fans in the seats are quality matchups against top-tier competition, like USC, like UCLA, like finding a way to make sure that you can host games against SEC teams in a home-and-home environment. That'd be ideal, like Utah and Florida did this past year, or in an environment in your own backyard, a la a neutral site at, say, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. I think the Pac-12 is going to have to get real creative here in the near future because if they don't, they could be left behind because we know the train is leaving the station and we know that the SEC and the Big Ten are on it. The question remains, will the ACC, will the Big 12, and will the Pac-12 ultimately be on the train as well? McRae, let me ask you, is there any chance that the Pac-12 and Big 12 would merge? And if they did, who would have to take that first step? And it feels like egos would get in the way of that next part. I feel like at this point, the Big 12 would not be benefited by merging with the Pac-12. I think the Big 12 is in a position, the challenge that the Big 12 is going to have to deal with, and they already dealt with it a little bit in the previous rendition of the Big 12. You had Outpost University. So for instance, it was difficult to say, get to West Virginia for all your you know, Olympic sports. That was a challenge. Now, if you want to start adding teams from the West Coast, guess what? That challenge gets more significant. How much will it cost, say you add San Diego State? How much will it cost to take the Lady Aztecs volleyball team to UCF for a weekend series or a weekend game? And how much will it cost to take the men's golf team to a road trip to play at Cincinnati? Those are the challenges that are currently facing the Big 12 is that their footprint, while impressive, is probably not the most economical way of doing business. But there is strength in numbers. So I think if I'm Brett Yormark, I'm on the aggressor. Like I am going after Oregon. I'm going after Washington. I'm going after Boise. I'm going after San Diego State. I'm going after SMU, Memphis, Tulane. I'm going after all those teams and I want to bring them in because I want the Big 12 to be the first super conference as far as numbers are concerned. I'm adding USF. I'm adding FAU. I'm adding as many teams as humanly possible. Because if I'm the Big 12, and let's just assume, and a lot of people are already making this assumption, the SEC and the Big 10 pull away. The SEC will take some teams out of the ACC. The Big 10 might very well take some teams out of the ACC as well. Something that is a very real possibility seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years from now. But if those two are leaving and they're going to establish their own, quote, semi-pro league, then I want to be the league right beneath it. And the way to do that is by having the most possible teams under your umbrella. So if I'm the Big 12, I am going after it. 
But if I'm the Pac-12, I have to be very strategic, knowing that every single team and every single program that I add could ultimately have an effect on my rights deal and my rights negotiation with both ESPN and with Amazon. If I add a team that they don't deem worthy, guess what? That's going to hurt the revenues for all the member institutions. And I think that's something that could very much play a part in whether or not the Pac-12 expands further and in the near term. Couldn't they just do football only? Like it, what, It's 2023. We've seen what conference realignment does. What's preventing anybody saying, we'll just take you in football instead well, of the I mean, golf all, and the swim and everything else? There's also scuttlebutt about Gonzaga joining the Pac-12 for hoops alone and for, for all the Olympic sports with no football. So that's, I mean, these are starting to become real conversations. What they used to be was idealist conversations. Hey, you know, this goes this, this goes that. Football stays, you know, as a bigger part of the picture. But I think that ship sailed. Like football inevitably is going to break away. It's just a matter of time. All right, diving into our mailbag segment. We do it as often as we can. And we love all the different questions you're sending us. Always call us football at gmail.com. So keep them coming. You can also submit mailbag questions on our social media at always CFB on Instagram and on Twitter. Coobs, let's kick it off. All right. First question comes from Ashley in Jacksonville. It says, Florida recently updated the state's NIL legislation to remove legal restrictions. One, has this caused any issues early in the NIL process that you know of? And two, do you see more kids staying in the state of Florida because of it? I think these are both fair questions. And I'll admit, Ashley, while I appreciate your questions and and appreciate very much you wanting me to get specific on what the long-term effects of NIL and NIL restrictions are going to be, I can't answer that. Like, I I think that it's if a lawyer might be more equipped to answer those questions. But I can tell you this, less restrictions as far as NIL is concerned is never going to be a bad thing as far as your in-state recruiting. I think that there are certain places, certain states that have allowed high school players to profit off their name, image, and likeness. There are a lot of people that that are taking advantage of that. There are some people that have relocated across the country to take advantage of that. That's probably going to be beneficial. But the one thing I've noticed, at least early on, not all kids are going to be driven to go to a specific school because of what they can offer in NIL. Now, I'm not saying that it's that it's a non-factor. Of course, it's a factor. Everybody get the opportunity. Hey, here you can make $75,000. Here you can make $15,000. Okay, well, the $75,000 sounds pretty nice. But that doesn't appeal to everyone. Talking to college football coaches over the last couple months, asking them about NIL. There have been more college coaches in the last handful of months that have said, hey, if a kid comes and addresses us the first time, the first question he asked is, hey, how much money can you give me? How much money will your NIL be able to provide? A lot of Schools are starting to say, no, this is not the right guy for us. Ohio State's been on the record about turning people away. Alabama's been on the record about turning people away. There's a handful of other schools that have been outspoken about not taking guys who are making decisions exclusively based on what they can make in NIL. So Ashley, while I appreciate the question, I think the guys that are making decisions about where they go to school exclusively based on NIL they're there, they exist, but they're probably not the people that you want to have 
on your roster exclusively. You need to have a mix of both those guys and guys that are there for the right reasons. And the right reasons being they want to go and they want to make the school better. They want to win the intangible reasons of why you play the game. So I think if you have a blend of that those that those different collections of people, then you're going to be in good shape. There's always going to be guys that want to make the most money. They're going to go to the highest bidder. No big deal. But you also got to have some glue guys as well on the roster that are there and invested in the betterment of the program and the football program itself. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, next question comes from Chase in New York. He asks, if a player transfers into a university, but the offseason does not go how he planned, can he transfer again without penalty? The answer is fairly simple. If you are a graduate, then yes, you can. If you have not graduated, then you have to apply for a waiver. And oftentimes that waiver will be granted, but it's not a slam dunk. So for instance, some of the things that people have applied for waivers for, you know, a family member's illness, uh, being homesick, being too far away from school. You can also have situations where the school can let you out of your NIL if it doesn't feel as though, or can let you out of your NLI, National Letter of Intent, not name, image, and likeness, NLI. Like what happened with Jaden Rashada at Florida, the school can relieve you and release you without penalty to allow you to go somewhere else. So there are circumstances where the cool the school could let you go. But no, if we're going to basically apply the actual logic to the rule, you can only transfer one time without penalty. Now, does it mean that you won't be able to transfer I think the NCAA is probably not trying to put themselves in a position to open themselves up to litigation and litigation, meaning they can get sued by pretty much anybody if they don't allow the kids to do what they want to do. And the NCAA doesn't really want to get in the habit of doing that. But no, if you transfer one time, you technically cannot transfer again. It's a one time you can play immediately type of approach unless you've graduated. And if you've graduated, I believe you can transfer wherever it is you want. So that's something that, and obviously there are different examples of, of guys that have played uh, after transferring multiple times. There's plenty of examples of those, but uh, the rule is that you can only transfer once. So apply it as you will. All right, next one. Tim in Alabama asks, the AAC just released their 2023 schedule, which has a single division, a lot of primetime Thursday and Friday games, and two Black Friday games, which are TBD with teams. 
Is the AAC doing a good job keeping up with the Power Five conferences? Well, let's just start with with the AAC and where they're at right now. This poor league, I mean, goodness gracious, they have had to experience so much change, so much turnover. Obviously, some of their best programs departing for the Big 12 just a couple of years ago. So they have experienced a ton of flux in the last 15 years. I mean, they have always been, it feels like, at the highest priority for other leagues to go and take some of their best product. So either way, the AAC has been in a tough spot. Here's what I'm very proud of with the AAC. They have got to get creative. You just referenced Thursday and Friday games. Those are massive and important windows for television networks. But I would go one step further. If I were the AAC, well, I see all these different games that they've scheduled during the week. I'd go one step further. For instance, UAB, new member of the AAC. They're in Birmingham, Alabama. They're about 10 minutes away from me. Okay. I would probably have UAB season tickets if they played all their home games on Wednesdays. You're going to say, well, hang on a second. What What do you mean? Well, I want to be able to take my kids to games during the week that are 10 minutes away from my house. You know what's a challenge right now is going to Tuscaloosa or going to Auburn. I work on the weekends, obviously, so I can't take my kids to football games on the weekends. But if they played on Wednesdays, guess what? You wouldn't have to decide between Alabama, Auburn, or UAB. You would get to be a UAB fan on Wednesdays and an Alabama or an Auburn fan on Saturdays. So if I were the AAC, I would take it one step further. They've done a great job in attracting as best as they possibly could quality programs that are invested in success. And if you look at some of the turnover that a lot of these programs have experienced as far as their coaches are concerned, clearly a lot of these programs said, hey, you know, we need to go and upgrade our coach. We need to upgrade our resources. We need to be invested because as we jump into the AAC, we better position ourselves for success for the long term. So you saw a lot of programs turn over in the last few months that are on the move into the AAC. And I'm proud of them for that. That's great. Nothing against the previous staffs. They're all great. I'm sure they're awesome. But I think they wanted some new blood as they move into a deeper pool. But the AAC, I think, can go further about putting games on Wednesdays, putting games on Thursdays, putting games on Fridays, thinking outside the box, playing games on Thursdays at 5 o'clock Eastern time. I mean, some people want to watch a game during happy hour. That'd be a great situation to do that. Is it challenging as far as logistics and going to the game? Sure, I'm sure it probably is. But the television network is ultimately what's paying the bills at a lot of these different programs. So I think that's something that you need to consider. Just like how the Mac has carved out a great niche for themselves in November. We know when I turn on Tuesday night Maction, I'm going to have a great and exciting product to watch. Same thing on Wednesday night Maction. Great and exciting product to watch. They've thought outside the box, and now they have a brand that is synonymous with excitement that people are captivated by on both Tuesdays and unaccompanied Wednesday windows. I think the AAC can go one step further. And if you put them head-to-head against the Mac, I think the AAC would probably win out from time to time. So that's something I would do if I were in charge of the ACC scheduling model. I wouldn't try to go up against Ohio State. I wouldn't try to go up against Michigan. I wouldn't try to go up against Alabama or Georgia or Florida or Texas or USC. I would try to go up against teams and sports 
that are on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I think I can win those battles more than I can win those battles on Saturdays. Look, putting a bow on on this conversation about realignment and all this other stuff, look, not all is doom and gloom. I feel like we've had a lot of negativity on Always College Football this week, and you know that's not the norm for us. Pac-12 is going to be just fine. I just don't think the Pac-12 needs to move and bring in new programs that could water down their product. It's no disrespect to the programs that they bring in, but I don't think they need to be in a big hurry to expand. Let's see what the media rights deal provides them, and then... Think about adding teams down the road. The Big 12, I think it's in a little different situation. I think they need to continue to grow. They need to continue to add. They need to add as many people, as many programs to their league as humanly possible. That's the way I think it'd be best for them to proceed, but we'll see what Brett Yormark decides to do. Either way, y'all, college football is in good shape. The numbers were really good this past year. If you look at the NFL numbers, yeah, the NFL numbers are by far the biggest and baddest in the land. But college football is a clear-cut number two. No one else is even close. Yes, college hoop, March Madness, Final Four, championship, they rate pretty well, but not like college football. Not across the board like college football, especially as it relates to the regular season. So the sport is healthy. The sport is in a great spot. Just might be some tweaking so that it continued to be super consumable for future generations. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We'll be back on Monday with another great show getting you ready for the college football spring season because several teams will be underway here in the coming days. We'll continue to update you with realignment. We'll continue to update you with news and notes. So keep it locked in here at Always College Football. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.